Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Brian Conyer, who is the co-founder and CEO of Giblib, a company started in 2015 with fellow USC Trojan Jihei Shin, and Giblib curates and creates high-quality educational videos from expert physicians at the leading academic medical centers and streams the library on demand to medical professionals globally. In this episode, we talk about a variety of topics, including how Brian started the company, how he convinced his co-founder to join him, how he received his first million dollars in seed funding, the business model of Giblib and how that kind of evolved over time, how they kind of acquired their first customers, how Brian looks at competition, remote work, and so much more. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. We appreciate that. And if you're interested in joining a curated community of high-performing entrepreneurs, creators, and go-getters, check out The Grind, which you can find at justgogrind.com slash the-grind. Without further ado, here's Brian Conyer, the co-founder and CEO of Giblib. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to talk about a lot of different things with your company. And I've heard you speak in class. I think I saw you at like a startup event too and everything. And Giblib is a fascinating company. So how did Giblib get started actually? Yeah, so I was really fortunate in that I was in the MBA part-time program at USC and I caught the entrepreneurial bug. You know, we had a whole list of um, startup founders come through the different classes and just hearing their stories, it was extremely motivating. And what was interesting for me is I always wanted to be a uh, corporate ladder climber. <laughs> yep. And I went back to business school to move up. But business school tells you or teaches you how to think strategically, be a leader, challenge the status quo. And so at night when I was listening to that messaging and doing my research and listening or reading all the case studies, and then I would have to go back to my day-to-day role, which was, hey, be a foot soldier, do, don't think. And I had these conflicting ideologies and, you know, it was just timing was perfect. Um, I had this idea that had been in the back of my head for a while, listening to all the uh, inspirational stories from the different startup founders. I, I realized, you know, in my first year of business school that I had to do this now. So... Yeah, and with that too, I mean, so you your background, for people who have some context here, what were you doing before business school? Yeah, so I had about 10 years of healthcare experience in the medical device business. Uh, most recently, I worked for a company called Intuitive Surgical, which is a surgical robotics company. And that's where the, kind of the idea came about where I saw physicians, uh, you know, visiting the operating rooms of other surgeons to learn new techniques, new procedures. Uh, prior to that, I worked at 3M in their healthcare division, and, and I saw at the medical conferences year over year, the attendance was declining and kind of just watching the, the medical talks in these big uh, auditoriums that were pretty empty, but the speakers would put all this time and effort into preparing these, these lectures, you know, it was kind of just all that work was lost. And so with the, the rise of all these educational uh, companies like Coursera and Masterclass, I just, I felt like that would make sense in, in the medical education space. Um, so I, I knew that this was a idea that I was really interested in, but, you know, meeting my co-founder really uh, solidified that. Uh, Jihei Shin, she was a full-time MBA student at USC as well, but she came from the entertainment industry. And so when I decided to pursue this idea, I realized I wasn't in the medical device business, I was in the content business. And, you know, having her background, understanding how, you know, you monetize content, create it and distribute it was um, kind of the the core of our business. Yeah, and you had this idea though, from, stemming from your experience and then you see all these guest speakers and everything. And 
at what point is it like, okay, I'm going to actually work on this. And what did you do? Like, what were the first things you did? Cause I know people who have ideas who they don't even know how to get started. Like what were some of the first things you did to kind of get this even rolling? Yeah. I, I remember it too clearly. And sometimes I try to, to block it out cause it was a really embarrassing story actually. <laughs> uh, so third quarter of core year, uh, we had a marketing class and my core group knew I had this idea and knew I was interested in entrepreneurship. So they said, Hey, why don't we do your, um, uh, ideas our project so uh, we started working on it did research and during that time I was like wow I think there actually is a market for this I think um, you know talking to the customers or potential uh, customers at this time I, I, I realized there was a business opportunity so in the middle of that project I decided that I was gonna quit my full-time job and I remember so clearly that <laughs> we were presenting to the entire class uh, the idea and it was for our final exam basically and the first sentence came out of my mouth and all of a sudden, you know, the room started spinning. I had basically an anxiety attack. I was like, what? I just quit my job for this stupid idea. What am I doing? And I couldn't finish the presentation. So I literally ran out of the classroom. Wow. And I came back in, tried to compose myself. The professor was super kind. and was like, hey, why don't you uh, give it another shot? And I, I forced myself to get through that presentation. But um, I because of my group, you know, and because of that class, I, I decided to go all in on it. And it was a rocky first start, but you know, I, I, I persevered. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that's, it's so tough to get started, especially in that if you to quit your job, your full-time job, quitting your job, and then you're like, okay, I'm gonna pursue this thing. I'm yeah. gonna have these classes that can help also do it as well. You said you had the co-founder at what point, how did you convince her to come on board? Yeah. So I believe that finding the right co-founder is extremely important. You know, it's some some bit of advice that everyone's going to tell you, but I, I truly do believe that because a lot of people just, you know, they go and try to find someone that fits a business need. Um, but I'm a, a culture person and a relationship uh, type of guy. And uh, so I, you know, reached out to my network, everyone at USC, told them about the business, looking for this certain uh, person that would make a great partner. And uh, this individual, Jihei's name kept coming up and they're like, oh, she went to Johns Hopkins, wanted to be a physician, but works in entertainment now. Um, had multiple MBA students say, oh, we worked in the same group projects together. She'd be an awesome fit. So I found out that it was her birthday uh, <laughs> later that week. And uh, I basically showed up to her birthday uninvited, made sure I sat right next to her and uh, sparked up a conversation with her and told her what I was working on. And uh, I knew I had her when she was like, oh, you know, that's really interesting. It sounds like a blend of, you know, my two interests, uh, entertainment and, and medicine. And so I was like, oh, we should, you know, do a follow-up call and see if there's interest in, in potentially working together. And uh, so we, you know, tried it out for a couple months. Uh, her, her husband was super supportive of it. Uh, he, he loved the idea of her working for a startup. You know, he had some, uh, he was at uh, UCLA's FEMBA program during that time. And um, actually he was a big supporter and told her that she should quit full time and, and join me in this uh, kind of crazy journey. Dang. That's amazing. And then you said those first few months you tried out, I mean, what were you doing? How were you thinking through the process of starting this company back then? Uh, because there's a lot of factors to consider when starting a company. I'm curious on what approach you took. Yeah. I would say it was less of an approach and just kind of diving in head first and trying to figure things out. Um, again, because I was in business school, I had the luxury of taking classes um, that helped me with kind of the feasibility analysis, uh, both kind of giving me the core for fundraising. We were really fortunate in um, coming together with a strong business plan right off the bat. 
and we started pitching to investors and uh, nine months after Jihan and I started working together, we found a, a really supportive, great group of angel investors that funded the first million dollars of the business. That's so, awesome. you know, looking back on it, I, I just have to say how grateful uh, we were to, to be able to receive that type of funding right off the bat. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it made a lot of things easier for us. It also made a lot of things harder for us down the road, too. But, sure. you know, we, we came out with the idea that, Hey, look, let's film subject matter experts at the leading academic medical centers. You know, let's create studio quality medical education content. Um, being that we're in here in L.A., you know, Hollywood's in our DNA, of course. Yeah. And then let's stream it on demand to medical professionals globally um, so we can, you know, we believe that everyone should learn from the very best. And, and so with that kind of pitch and that story, um, we had a lot of people that believed in us, both from the investor side. But, you know, we have six of the top 10 hospitals in the U.S. that partner with us as well. Yeah. And there's lot, lots to go through with that. I want to go while we're on this topic of fundraising. How did your pitch evolve over time? There's so many, there's so many rejections as you're fundraising. How did you evolve it over time? Take that feedback and change things, the pitch itself, or like how you portray the company. I'm curious about that. Yeah, no, it's a, a great question, and I reflect on often because I'm uh, always fundraising. Yeah. And the pitch today is very much different than the pitch it was. Uh, in the beginning, it was always like. Uh, industry statistics, top-down analysis, right. all these things that an MBA class would teach you how to do, <laughs> um, but it lacked like the story and the vision. And um, you know, getting rejected so many times, you get so much conflicting feedback. So it was like a pendulum. I would hear one bit of advice, and then the pitch would swing the other way, and they would say, "Oh no, you need to pitch it um, this way," which was the original way. And um, all of a sudden, uh, I found my own voice and the own story. And you know, the biggest thing that actually impacted our pitch was traction though as we built an mvp as we got people using the product as we collected feedback as we got partners on board all of a sudden it's less about this hypothetical um you know thing that you're pitching with data points that you find in uh you know the, your research <laughs> right and <laughs> you know in the usc library and now it's like actual tangible things that you're collecting um that people really resonate with so yeah yeah, traction traction will definitely help along yeah. the way as you're doing. If you can actually do that, and with you said building the MVP, how did you get that built out? How did you build that initial like team or whatever it was to get the product actually kind of off the ground? Yeah, so our um, original this was before we raised any capital. Yeah, um, you know we built out an MVP and it was let's just get uh, a website that looks like um, you know what we were trying to to build. Right. And I actually had to cold call tons of physicians um, sharing this idea. And surprisingly, some of them would respond through email. And uh, I would get them on the phone. I'd get them excited. And some of them would contribute content. So I would actually have to go around and get like a own personally user-generated library of content. And then we would get it in the hands of other physicians that were more juniors, residents, or whatnot, and we would see like kind of the user behavior. And, and so that's kind of how it started. Uh, we originally went after the wrong business model. We thought that, hey, let's grow, uh, grow our library, get a really big audience, and let's get like industry, like pharma, medical device to subsidize that somehow. And um, so all of my user analysis was to these medical device marketing managers and pharma companies saying, hey, if we build this, would you purchase this? Um, more of a sponsored content approach. And they would all say yes, yes, yes. And so that was my validation. But once we 
achieve those things, no one would actually pay. Yeah. And that's when we realized, you know, we had uh, the wrong business model. We were chasing the wrong thing. And um, so we, we altered our course at that point to a subscription model. Yeah. And yeah, doing that though, you're getting that feedback. <laughs> you, you talk to all these people and they say, yeah, of course we're going to pay for it, which is, of course they're going to say that. Yeah. And they don't. How do you immediately go to subscription or was there other things you considered or like, how did you like, just makes sense that, okay, we have to do a subscription model. I mean, the business model is so important in terms of a company. Yeah. How'd you think about that? Yeah. So, you know, again, thinking about our MVP and thinking about our customers, um, the biggest learning lesson we had was your user and your payer might be different. Um, you know, it's not really a business unless you're generating revenue. Right. And so we put all this work into building features that people said that they would want or they said they would use, um, building for customers that actually weren't our customers. And finally, uh, we were close to running out of money, and we realized that, hey, we actually are focused on the wrong KPIs. The thing that matters most is uh, our revenue and becoming a true profitable business. Yeah. And at that point... You know, we had tens, um, over 10,000 users uh, on our platform when it was free. And we realized that we were creating original content that people were really engaged with and really liked. And we started asking the users, would you pay for this content if we actually um, put up a paywall? Yeah. And surprisingly, they were saying yes. So we decided, well, why don't we prove it? We're not making the type of traction we thought we would with the pharma and medical device companies. Let's, let's put up a paywall. So um, we spent a weekend as a, at, as a company retreat, redid our business plan, redesigned um, kind of our, our platform and our tech stack, and it took us about a month to roll it out. And one of the coolest stories still to, to this day is, um, you know, Sunday night we roll out the tech, Monday morning we come in, and we start pushing traffic to our site, and about an hour later, we get an email notification saying we got our first subscriber. Ooh. And <laughs> we all kind of looked up above our computer monitors saying, like, <laughs> is this real? Is this legitimate? And, um, you know, we, we validated, and, like, the whole office erupted. Yeah. And we pushed more traffic, and, you know, subsequently more and more subscriptions started coming in. And, and that's when we realized, okay, we're finally hitting the kind of the right path yeah was there pushback from that though going from free to then a subscription model yeah so um there's a lot of pushback from our free users yeah and they said they were really disappointed with us um you know they weren't gonna convert but it was a lot of new people that were just they didn't know otherwise yeah they didn't know us as a free platform and they subscribed and what we realized looking at the um analytics after the fact is you know we were trying to serve an audience that just was never going to pay for content. Yeah. Kind of the freeloaders. Um, whereas, you know, we were partnering with academic medical centers. We had really strong uh, production quality content for, for medical education, and, and we were doing it in a different way. And we realized that there was this willingness to pay. And so we need to go find more of these users. And as part of that analysis, we had originally looked at kind of the user behavior and if you looked at it then, medical students use the platform pretty regularly. Yeah. Uh, physicians would use it relative to the medical students less often. So you would think, oh, medical students were the obvious um, audience to go after. But the user economics actually didn't work out that way. Um, you know, they might use it ever, uh, more often, but they would cancel after a couple months. So we would break even or we would lose money in that. Yeah. Whereas the physician, they would use it less often but they would never cancel. 
So it's kind of counterintuitive. And once we saw that data point and we realized, okay, we're looking at like our customer acquisition costs and our lifetime value as our main indicator of success. Right. We shifted our efforts to those physicians and, and those are the people that really valued our content. Yeah, which makes total sense. And then you, even with building out this company in the first place, the team part of it. So that's a huge part of why startups either fail or, or don't yeah. fail. Like, how did you approach then building the team out? You mentioned the MVP and the first was like just cold calling people and getting like that. But then you got fundraising, your first round of fundraising. Yeah. How have you built out the team for this company? For yeah. Good? So people often ask me what's like the best part about my job. And I think or I know it's because I get to choose my team. Yeah. Um, you know, in the beginning, we had to find engineers. Uh, I had to find my co-founder. We had to find people that were in video production. Um, you know, the early team was all through our own personal network. I mean, we have out of, you know, a third of our employees right now are all USC Trojans. Yes, fight so on. Fight on, <laughs> exactly. Um, but again, I believe in network. Um, I believe in, in finding people that are going to fit in your culture. And um, that's been kind of the biggest growth for us or um, is, is working through our own personal networks to to build our team. Yeah. And then as you've grown even more, then uh, you've got another round of fundraising early-ish 2019. Has it still been the same type of thing? So still those networks you're reaching out to, expanding outside of that, how have you kind of done yeah. that? So as we scale, like the, the approach has changed. Yeah. Um, so in the beginning, I, I definitely hand-selected folks. Um, now we have, you know, our head of production, we have our head of engineering, um, our operations team. And so I actually still am very hands-on in the hiring process. Um, I have a certain personality type that I'm going after. So a LinkedIn has actually been a big um, tool for me yeah. in that I can search for people that have a certain skill set, and I'm actually the first point of contact. Um, so I email them or message them, ask if they want to jump on a call, have that initial conversation with them, and it's always the first thing I say is, hey, we're a venture-backed startup. We've run out of money once. Um, we're likely going to run out of money again. <laughs> Are you interested in working for you know a startup that yeah. is really exciting and this is what we're doing? Uh, maybe half of the people will say, no, not for me, but you know that other half then I start to talk to and kind of feel them out. Do these people have the ability to accomplish what we need? Let, more so than the experience itself. Yeah. Once I kind of check that box, I actually then hand them over to um, the, the head of that area to, yeah. to do the technical interview. But it's something that I've done differently and you know I've received feedback from other entrepreneurs, oh, that's not scalable. Well, for this point of our company, it is. And I think the core team that we hire is so important. I wanna be able to ensure that the culture fit and the right mentality and personality type is there first. Yeah. Um, and then they can find the, the and vet for the talent aspect. How did you decide to do it that way? Cause it's not definitely a way everyone does it. Yeah. Um, I actually don't have a good answer to it. It yeah. worked the first couple times sure. <laughs> and I kept doing it, but I think, uh, you know, for me as a, a founder and CEO, uh, hiring and recruiting is such an essential part and it's just, you know, a channel that has kind of, uh, 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 endless amount of opportunity, you know? <laughs> yeah, of course. And then yeah. you're, so you're obviously, you're, you have to fundraise, you have to hire and fire this whole time. So balancing the fundraising part, cause you're pretty much always fundraising as yep. a CEO with then hiring more people on with the direction of the business. I mean, how do you kind of juggle all of that? I'm yeah. Curious. That's been one of the areas that I've had to professionally grow the most. Uh, I think 
the muscle that I have to exercise is kind of around compartmentalization, yeah. being able to uh, switch gears really quickly. And uh, in the beginning, it was challenging. You know, you're going from one meeting that's about the tech, and then you're going to the next one about operations and efficiency to kind of the creative side of what we're going to do on the video production standpoint. And um, it, it was initially difficult to um, kind of switch gears like that. But I think over time, you definitely get used to it. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's been uh, really exciting from a, a professional standpoint to be able to be involved in all these things, but to mentally um, be able to kind of go from one to the other. Yeah, and then I wanna, I wanna hear about a little bit about how you're kind of acquiring new customers because you, know, you mentioned early on with even getting like the doctors on board, like cold calling, cold messaging, whatever. <laughs> like now, like how are you acquiring new customers? What's your approach to that? I'm curious about that yeah. too. So if you think about our business, um, we're definitely a content-based business. Uh, you know, I guess the best way to think about it is a media company in medical education. Yeah. So our kind of marketing funnel is, is very much, um, sure, we run Facebook ads and Google ads to drive initial traffic. But yeah. We create so much content. Every Tuesday we release new content, you know, two to four surgical videos, five to ten medical talks. So we seed a lot of content all over the different social media sites um, from YouTube and our Facebook and Instagram. And that's been actually the biggest driver of, of our traffic because people will discover us um, kind of just through their own searches and find our content interesting and, and then they come to our website and sign yeah. up. Yeah, so a lot of organic actually traffic yeah. is coming there. Yeah, which is nice. I mean, one compelling thing that's been very exciting for us and really thinking about how we look at product market fit, we actually boast a 50% free trial to paid user conversion rate. So crazy. every two physicians that sign up for a free trial one will convert to a paid user and, and those that don't convert it's typically that we don't have enough content for their specialty which yeah. is a problem that we can absolutely solve yeah like we're gonna build that out yeah, yeah. <laughs> we will have more so eventually yeah. we'll bring them on board and then i imagine too like the the paid traffic then fuel is fueled by the having the organic traffic as well because then you can yeah uh, they, they, they see you once with the paid traffic and then they see you organic then it just builds that and they can sign up yep, as well absolutely yeah and then what have been kind of like the biggest challenges in growing the business like I'm going to separate this early on yeah. challenges versus kind of what you're looking at today. Yeah. Oh, that's a tough question. So early on was um, just kind of product market fit. I mean, that's still the case now, yeah. but we have a lot more traction now and we have paying users right. and we have a, a growing subscriber base. But early on, um, you know, creating content's not cheap. Uh, we had to um, get our partners in place hospitals tend to move slow so getting <laughs> contracts with the and agreements set up with these academic medical centers you know took some time and and, and patience so uh it was it was early on trying to manage a team of people that you couldn't pay uh, a lot of money you yeah. had to believe in the vision you had to get all of your partners like our academic medical centers on board believing in your vision with no traction being kind of the first ones that are going to make a bet on you that this this is going to uh, hold true with no or minimal paying customers and then you know selling to healthcare professionals specifically physicians who um, are very educated without a brand so you know managing that early on was definitely a challenge um, we've since, you know, evolved and have some some brand recognition, and we have great partners. Uh, we have a steady flow of content. We have funding to be able to to pay our team competitively. So now it's kind of 
scaling up the amount of content we put out there, you know, working on our, um, you know, uh, our, our KPIs and making sure that we're, our unit economics make sense as we scale. And it's just a, a different type of problem. Yeah. As it evolves, as the company evolves and I'm sure there's different ones. And like I said, you did raise funding, more funding, you know, in 2019, early 2019 here. So that you, you actually pay people and do some different things. Yep. But, uh, how do you approach the content side of it in terms of which content you're going to create next? Cause you're always kind of creating more and more. Yeah. How do you approach like that side of things with the business? Yeah. So, in medicine and, and surgery, there's multiple specialties, and you know we are focused on a few key specialties that are already engaged that have a large um, number of, of physicians in that specialty. So, um, you know, the market makes more sense there, and it gives us focus. We also rely on our partners like Mayo Clinic or Cedar Sinai to say, "Hey, these are the specialties that you know we really want to feature or highlight ourselves right. as, as being the top." And you know, looking at what medical societies say are kind of like um, the most important trending topics that uh, physicians need to be educated on. That so taking all those kind of factors into play and, and using that as our playbook to, to create content. Yeah, and then with your company too, with I mean, is there competition out there for Giblib? Like, what what else is out there, and how do you kind of approach that too. yeah so i think actually our our biggest competition is youtube yeah you know uh just like for the uh general audience people back in like 2010 11 thought content should be free and yeah. everyone use youtube and uh what you realize is there's a lot of noise out there it's tough to find good quality content uh, and the same applies for medical education you know if you look on YouTube, there's tons of medical talks, there's tons of medical lectures and surgery videos, and physicians will often refer to YouTube as their primary source, but the biggest pain point for them is um, the credibility, the time spent finding good content, yeah. low production quality, and the lack of curation. So, you know, we're out there working with these academic medical centers to curate this content for these physicians, and because we're partnering with the top academic medical centers, you know, that... Um, uh, credibility is there and, and yeah. uh, most of our resources are spent into the the production aspect making sure it's really high quality you know physicians um, want they still go home and they watch Netflix they still go um, you know use Instagram they're used to uh, you know really well-designed UI experiences yeah. for their mobile devices or their apps and the content is really well done and it should be that way for medical education as well and yeah so. and, and the with all your customers, you see tons more customers now, obviously, than different started. Then, like, what is how do you gather feedback from them and to adjust and make decisions and change things? Like, how are you getting that feedback from, from your current customers and even like people who are not necessarily signed up yet, but yeah. they give you feedback? How do you use that to grow your company? Yeah, so, um, actually, that's a great point because early on we would collect feedback and we'd get all this information from our users when the, it was a free platform, yeah, but the feedback wasn't as um, candid as we would like. Now that it's a, there's <laughs> it's a paywall, <laughs> people are very candid about what they like and don't like about sure. your platform. And so um, collecting feedback now uh, has been a lot easier to kind of analyze the information. And so when people cancel, they tell us exactly why. Um, we do regular surveys, of course. Our product manager reaches out to the, the um the subscribers regularly to collect that information. And uh, of course we have our um, content partners that are physicians themselves right. too, that give us feedback. So, yeah. um, you know, everything that we build is based on, on that feedback loop. Yeah. And one of the things you mentioned with, uh, he already is saying you ran out of money once, everything like that. I mean, how do you look at like the short term staying alive versus 
long-term, where are we headed? Where do you want this company to go? Yeah. Um, that's been a good kind of uh, work in progress over the last six months. I'm very fortunate that I have a strong team. I mean, Jihei, my co-founder, she's our COO. She's, um, our, our skill sets are very opposite of each other. She's very operational, uh, operational. She's process oriented. She can figure out how to make things work. And, um, you know, our head of production, our project managers and product managers, like everyone has a lot of accountability and ownership. So I'm proud to say that our, our company is like really moving and executing well. Yeah. Um, which for the first time now I'm, uh, spending more time with our customers and our partners trying to figure out what year two, year three looks like and, and building out that product roadmap, which is really exciting because the conversation now building kind of the long-term strategy is a lot different than early on when we didn't have any traction. People didn't understand what we were building. Right. Now that we have this engaged audience of um, really excited physicians and, and hospitals, um, the planning is, is um, a lot more fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. And, yeah. and with your team then, like, how do you look at culture and as you've grown, you have more people on board then, how does that change and how, how do you look at that then? Yeah, so I mean, I mentioned earlier that culture is the most important thing to me in terms of building the business. I learned early on, you know, the business is only is, um, is, is going to be a direct result of the people in the organization. Uh, so we look at three traits when we hire people and they're really obvious. It's like kind of no brainers. We look for really um, hardworking people. We look for really smart individuals. Uh, but most importantly, we look for really genuinely good people. Yeah. And I think the, you know, if you can find folks that have all three of those attributes, you know, when times are tough, um, you know, they're going to work really hard to persevere through it. Uh, if you have really smart people, they're going to figure out and be able to problem solve. But if you have really good people, no matter what situations you get in, however tense it might get, you know, because it's a good group of people, they're going to, you know, put uh, uh, their um, pride aside and, and work through the problems. And, yeah. You know, as a startup, we have lots of problems that we have to work <laughs> through and push through, but we've been able to do that because we have just such a great group of people in our company. Yeah. And then just kind of getting more nitty gritty into the details. I mean, what do you actually use to run the company in terms of tools, software, how, when you have meetings? I'm curious <laughs> about some of that stuff too. Yeah. We're in a, a tool reduction mode right now <laughs> because we use everything. Um, my favorite tool of course is Slack. I, I just, I feel like the way um, it allows everyone to be involved and have full transparency across all the different functions of the company is makes things a lot more efficient. Yeah. It can be a distraction at times, but you know, I think overall the net positive is, is really good. Um, the video production team always knows what the tech team is working on and vice versa. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's been a, a, a really interesting turn coming from a corporation that uses like really old school tools to now being a startup that we get to pick our infrastructure and tools. And so we're, you know, we use all the different project management tools and we're just trying to figure out what makes the most sense for us right now. So that's why yeah. I joke we're in a, a tool reduction mode because we've used so many. Yeah. And that's the thing. There are so many out there. Yeah. That's why I asked the question because every, I think every company probably has a different way of doing it, Yeah, but there's different to any, yeah, there's so many different tools out there, resources that are great. I think Slack is is incredible. Uh, I'd only started using it probably like six months ago for yeah. a different company. I'll probably use Slack for the grind, the community. I'm going to already be launched by the time this goes out because uh, I think just Slack makes, makes sense yeah. for connecting people and having different topics and everything. Yeah. Uh, I think it just makes a lot of sense. And then, so I, with meetings, meetings can be such a waste at times depending on how they run in a big company. How do you look at that and like getting everyone on board at the same time? Yeah. 
uh, this is a really tough question. And uh, Jihei and I actually just um, had a strategy meeting about meetings, as silly as that sounds, yeah. saying, all right, which meetings are absolutely necessary? Which meetings should we get rid of? Uh, especially, you know, Mayo Clinic's actually um, not just a strategic partner, but they're an investor in us too. So we have to work closely with their team. Uh, so that, you know, adds on additional meetings too. And so structuring our week to be very efficient is, is always top of mind. Um, but I think it's really important that you always have an all hands meeting in the very beginning of the week. So everyone has full transparency of what the goals are for the week, what other people are working on. And then you let the kind of functions have their own individual meetings throughout the, the week. Um, I do believe in daily standups with your immediate team because I think it just um, helps with accountability and, and communication, uh, especially. Yeah, otherwise you have to slack off potentially or like not know where everyone's at, <laughs> yeah. even within the yeah. projects that are going on. And with your co-founder, Jihei, too, like what, I mean, how, how frequently are you communicating? How does that work? How has that relationship grown over yeah. the last, you know, bit yeah. of time? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And um, we uh, had some challenges early on um, with communication and as any co-founding team has. And it ironically didn't improve until uh, she moved to Seattle that things really got um good from a communication standpoint. And that reason actually why is we were so used to working in an office side by side that we took communication for granted. Yeah. And we would just assume that the other person would know uh, what was going on. Yeah. Um, her husband had um, got a, a job opportunity at Amazon. They moved up to Seattle. For us, uh, for Jihei and I, it, it presented a new challenge of working remotely. She was um, uh, a fan of working remotely and, and believed in, you know, um, being able to, to do that with our team. I was a, a little bit more reluctant on it. But because uh, we had to make it work, um, we had to communicate every day. And all of a sudden, just that separation and, and having us talk every day, um, we ended up over-communicating, which made our relationship much more efficient and... Um, it's, it's kind of ironic how that, that, <laughs> that transpired like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And yeah. A remote team. I mean, you were reluctant. You said to have kind of a remote team, like how has that played out and yeah, how's that gone with the remote team? Yeah. So because of that, and you know, we always joke that, um, G hey, tends to always be right. Um, <laughs> and this is one of those moments because originally I, I wanted a company culture where everyone was together. Um, but for our business model, she had more vision to realize that we needed to be kind of spread out across the country sure. close to our partners. And when I saw how well we work together remotely, it made me open up my eyes and made me a much more open-minded. And so since then, you know, we have a, a team in New York, uh, Minnesota, uh, and our tech team's actually located in Korea. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in kind of this um, having people uh, located geogra uh, geographically where it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And then, and with this company too, I mean, what is kind of the grand vision for Giblet moving forward? Yeah. I mean, we want to own the, the healthcare category when it comes to content, you know, we're started out in medical education. I think, um, the way physicians, um, you know, earn their continuing medical education credits, you know, physically going to a conference, taking time out of their vacation or their office. It's just, it's old school and, and being able to deliver this on demand and in a curated uh, format um, is, is an innovation that needs to happen. Yeah. But beyond that, um, you know, there's a, a whole world of nursing and other healthcare professionals that need 
access to better quality education and that and, and that's where we want to move into and and of course patients you know uh, educating the the general population health uh, is extremely important and you know with our partners and kind of with our our core um, competencies we're able to, to to own that space yeah and it's gonna be interesting to see where that goes but there's always an I mean there is a need for high quality educational content and like yeah. you, you mentioned masterclass before like they're doing some interesting things with them um, Shiv Gaglani from Osmosis he's been on the, my show before um, doing some interesting thing kind of medical ish space as well it's interesting to see where it goes but there's definitely a need for it so yeah. clearly you know there's gonna continue to be a need for it uh, and then for you Brian I mean has entrepreneurship been what you expected before? Because you came from corporate. World. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> I, 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 I'm totally changed um, in in my working habits and lifestyle. But uh, I was just home for the holiday break, and it's interesting because I've realized how much I've developed over the last few years. And um, the reason why I noticed it is when I go home, uh, it's kind of like a time capsule, right? You go back and. Um, you, you know, you, you reconnect with your friends, you have conversations with your family and, and you kind of catch them up on things and, um, you realize how much of your perception of life has changed. And right now I don't feel like I'm working. I just feel like I'm always doing what I want to be doing. Yeah. And it's a totally different mindset. Whereas when I would go home for holiday breaks, when I was in the corporate world, it was like, Oh, I need, you know. I need uh, some break. separation. <laughs> I need some break. But now when I go home, you know, I want to be working and it doesn't feel like work. And, um, you know, having a group of people that all believe in the same vision and hold each other to a standard that's, you know, exceeds what, what you would hold for yourself individually is, is just a, a fascinating kind of feeling to, yeah. and to be part of a team that, that is always pushing each other to do better. I, it sounds so generic, but being part of it, it's it's really surreal. Yeah, and one of the things I'm always curious about with entrepreneurs, how do you decide like when you work? Because you can work 24-7 in theory, right? Yeah. So as an entrepreneur, like, how do you decide when you start, when you end, weekends? I, I'm yeah. always curious about that. Yeah, that's where the working hours becomes blurry. Yeah. Because, you know, I could be laying on the couch, hanging out with my dog, um, and just like not thinking about anything. And then all of a sudden an idea pops in my head. And then all of a sudden I spend an hour or two just thinking through that. And yeah. that's technically working. Right. Yeah. And there's a difference between, you know, um, kind of the, the tactical writing emails and doing the, the, the grunt work and, you know, spread being behind a spreadsheet and that type of stuff. Yeah. But then, you know, in entrepreneurship, because you're trying to grow your business and you're always trying to innovate, you're always thinking that's also work too. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to be not working to find that inspiration. Yeah. That's tough though. I mean, I, I, having interviewed probably hundred plus entrepreneurs or VCs and then that work question is always a yeah. tricky one because yeah. it doesn't necessarily turn off. Yeah. Um, and then for you then, I mean, do you have more of a, a set schedule of like, okay, uh, roughly these times, are you trying to take breaks at certain times? I mean, are you literally like weekends? You're like, okay, I'm take a break here. How do you look at those things then those times? Yeah, I wish I had more structure and yeah. uh, I need to go listen to some more podcasts to figure out what other entrepreneurs are doing. Yeah. Um, I tend to wake up at around 6 a.m. and for the first uh, hour or two is kind of just to me, um, you know, clearing my mind, getting ready for the day. Yeah. I listen to, um, you know, Audible during that time or podcasts and get my brain going. And yeah. then typically during my commute is when I start answering emails and, you know, between like eight to six is really my, um, I'm working with my team, I'm on calls, I'm doing the actual, you know, traditional what you think of yes. work. 
go home for dinner. And then the next few hours, like, you know, I, I just kind of, that's, that's when I'm kind of decompressing. I'm rethinking about the day and, and I'm still working, but it, again, it doesn't feel like work. Like it's technically work because you're you're doing things for the business, (laughs) but it doesn't feel like you're really working per se. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I could see where people inflate like that. I'm working whatever, hundred hour work weeks. Like, okay, how much of that is like in the office doing that type of work you mentioned? Like yeah. it's not always the same, yeah. but they are working a lot on their yeah. company. And and in the beginning it was tough because sometimes when I would do those um, reflect times of reflection or I would be doing strategy or just whiteboarding, I didn't feel like that was work because I wasn't accomplishing anything because I didn't have a, a any immediate gratification. There was yeah. no result from that action. Um, but I realized, you know, my role is to, to be thinking more big picture and to, um, thinking through problems uh, that might not exist right now. And so, uh, again, that's why I think the, the lines tend to blur. Yeah, and it's such a tricky thing. I think everyone has their own method of approaching that. Yeah. There is no perfect thing. You just keep getting things done and you, yep. you change it along the way. Um, and, Brian, what advice would you have for inspiring entrepreneur? You're still kind of relatively new, fresh in this, yeah. you're not like a 30 year veteran entrepreneur. Like what would be your advice for someone like just starting out or just uh, has an idea for a company? Yeah. So my first bit of advice is just find a really awesome co-founder. I'm so fortunate that I was able to find one, uh, for my very first business. Yeah. Um, and I always have to remember that because so many of the problems that we face are much easier to solve because I have a great business partner yeah. and co-founder. Um, you know, a lot of people I talk to are like, oh, I don't need a co-founder, but I, I think entrepreneurship is such a lonely road that you need someone that, um, you know, you can, you can go through this journey with, um, that really understands what, what the entrepreneurial path looks like. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is, and this is more practical is, uh, make sure someone pays for your product right (laughs) after that, you know, versus telling you that they're pay for it. If you can get someone to actually pay you for for whatever it is that you're building um the earlier the better yeah which yeah like you say running out of money yeah that's what a lot of startups do though yeah running out of money you have to pay the bills to stay alive somehow whether it's self-funded family and friends going vc route like there's actually there's many different ways of actually getting funding and more than just the vc route what people kind of think of but yeah paying for things and and you know when if you're going to take the fundraising route you know you can have great user metrics but the best metric is revenue and yeah. that growth. <laughs> yeah. And even with that, I, mean, I haven't asked this yet, but like, how did you, you went through a lot of different, different VCs or different people that you were asking money for. Like, how did you actually choose then the VC? Like, they, yes, they chose you, but you also yeah. chose them. Yeah. It's, it's, um, just like, uh, uh, you know, dating process. You want to get to know them and you're, as soon as you take, um, the, the money from an investor, it's not a short term transaction. You're now, obligated for the life of that business to have a really great relationship or you know like you have to have a relationship with that <laughs> yeah. individual and so you want to make sure that um the people you take money from believe in not just the vision but of the of the company but you as an entrepreneur because you know it's not always going to be upward momentum there's going to be challenging times and you want people that will rally 
behind you during those times to, to help you help guide you through those difficult um, yeah. moments. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's, you need so much support, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, whether it be those partners, co-founders, even your team leaning on them sometimes, uh, there's so much. And then again, having interviewed so many people, I hear that all the time. I'm yeah. like, yeah, like we needed to support even someone just to mention like what it is you're going through because yep. a lot of your friends and family will not understand right. what you're going through as an entrepreneur, right. but then having that support system is super helpful. Yeah. Uh, Brian, where can people go to learn more about the company and everything you're doing? Yeah. Yeah, they go to giblib.com. Um, I would, uh, you know, warn you that some of the material on there is is very graphic as yes. it is intended for physicians, especially the surgical content. Uh, you got a, a piece of that information yes. or that, that video <laughs> prior to the, the podcast. So. Indeed, it immediately looked away, yes. Yeah, <laughs> but definitely go to giblib.com. Uh, you know, we're, uh, we have really big plans for 2020. We uh, actually just got back from Korea where our tech team's located and, and uh, participated in a global startup competition uh, with 40 other teams across the globe. Um, and we placed second in that. And awesome. we got a lot of validation from uh, healthcare institutions outside of the US that are really interested in, in uh, Giblib as a, a platform. And we're realizing, you know, this isn't just a domestic product. This is something that can help the global medical education community. So yeah, uh, it's gonna be interesting to see where Giblib is 2020 and beyond. I'm yeah. excited to watch and thank yeah. you for coming on the show. Yeah, buddy. thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate it. If you haven't already, check out The Grind, which is a community where entrepreneurs, creators, and other go-getters can connect digitally and in person to build their businesses, get ideas and inspiration, make an impact, and support others pursuing their dream. The goal of this community where I created is, is really simple. It's to use our collective experiences, skills, connections, and unrelenting ambition to make a bigger impact on the world. And during my time at USC, Growing this podcast, attending conferences, I've met so many incredible people and wanted to have a way to connect them, a place where they could reach out to each other, get support, but also then just leverage the skills we have to do more. And this community is exactly that. Learn more at justgrind.com slash the dash grind. You can also find it from the homepage, justgrind.com. Check it out. Thank you.